Hi ho ho, it's me, a disappointment. Back at it again with a new episode of the Boy Time Podcast, and as always, I'm joined by Babby and Paul. Yippee-o. I'm also a disappointment. Yes. Well, there was a very specific reason oh. I, I picked that, because, you know, it is, well, I guess it was supposed to be week four of our Halloween marathon. No. We were going to watch... The Conjuring, Paranormal Activity, and Insidious, and um, oh, no. through a series of unfortunate events, I watched That's none of those. None of them. <gasps> um, I watched the first two minutes of The Conjuring, and then I turned it off <laughs> because <laughs> I was too scared. Um, so I don't know what I was thinking. I, I know that I am somewhat of a a weenie when it comes to modern horror movies, especially these kinds of horror movies, ones that are jam-packed with jump scares. And I figured, hey, I'll get them all out of the way. But that was not happening. So I decided to do something a little different. We're still going to talk about a horror movie, because I did watch one, but it's not one of the ones... But no, it's not the FNAF movie. Dang it. Dang it. Disappointment. I know. It's the real disappointment. <laughs> no, I don't I don't want to see that. Um, I've heard weirdly I've heard two things about it. It's weird actually weirdly really good and also eh, not really worth it. Those are like the two opinions <laughs> I've heard, and I don't know how it's so wide. I I think it's like a Mario movie thing where if you're a fan mm. of the franchise, then you think it's the best movie ever made but everyone else is like oh it's just kind of mid if you are mm. the under the age of 20 it's well, probably really cool yeah that's mm. true although the one thing i've heard is apparently it very rarely surprisingly uses jump scares even though that's like the whole point of the games that's the whole oh, that's point cool. of those games it's like two jump scares the whole movie i think it was that's shocking I well, was made by Blumhouse. Well, it's almost as shocking as a jump scare. <laughs> and it's based on those FNAF movies. I figured it would have been chock full of jump scares. Nah. Yeah, come on. I guess not. I guess well. not. So I didn't watch any of them. Uh, I watched, uh, yeah, two minutes of The Conjuring, had to turn it off. Um, nothing scary even happened yet. There was it was just the Annabelle doll sitting down, and I'm like I don't I can't do this. As soon as she starts moving, I'm gonna freak out, and I don't want to ruin my day like this. Because uh, like that's kind of been my relationship with horror movies these days, where it's like I work a lot, and watching these movies is gonna make my day worse, and I'm not really trying to do that, you know. So maybe someday. I'll watch them, but not anytime soon. So I figured, hey, I'll compromise because if I'm not going to watch these horror movies, I do want to watch a horror movie that messed me up as a, as a adolescent online. Uh, I don't I don't know exactly where I saw a clip of this movie, but it freaked me out so bad, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch it. Um, and I'm going to actually do it. It took me three days. I had to split it up because of how freaked out I was. I I also need to bring up the fact that I, uh, like, 
some of my meds have been getting switched around, so I haven't been sleeping great. So I've been like really tired, and that has not been helping the situation. I'm watching these. (laughs) It's really, I mean, it's just been this week it started. So, um, yeah, it's not been helping. So, but I'm like, yeah, we'll do it. I watched The Ring, the 2002 hit film. Um, the girl that crawls through the TV, the black, nice. black hair all over her face. Um, yeah. What what no one told me is that this movie is is like ninety percent a uh, like a procedural investigation mystery thing, and it's like barely a horror movie. There's like a little bit at the beginning where. Well, there's like one jump scare in the whole movie and it's in like the 15 minute mark around there. Um, but, and then after that, it's just like an investigation into why this, the main, you know, not the main character, but like the first person dies. Spoilers. No. But the whole premise of the movie is, and it's a very 2002 concept where, if you there's a VHS tape that you can find out in the wild and if you watch it then 7 days later you will die and uh that's not really like the scary part about it like you know theoretically that could be a coincidence but like through those like 7 days like you have like hallucinations and like all sorts of like weird stuff happens to you, you know, in between the, that time of you watching the tape and you dying. Um, and so the main crux of the whole movie is that the main character, who's played by Naomi Watts, her niece dies after she goes on, like, a trip to a cabin with a bunch of her friends. They all watch the tape and they all die, like, exactly a week later. And so she's investigating it. She finds the tape and she watches it because she's stupid Uh. yeah i don't know why it's like (laughs) it's like the most horror movie thing ever where it's like you know that this tape like the rumor is that it kills you in seven days why would you watch it like i don't know like i i'm not like like really superstitious or anything but if someone handed me a tape and said you're gonna die in seven days after you watch it, I probably wouldn't watch it. I'm watching that tape. <laughs> that's, that's why. <laughs> that's true. Um, <laughs> and so she watches it, and then she shows it to someone. Like, so what do you think of this tape? And I'm like, what? What is? What is your problem? Why are you showing it to people? And then she has like a seven-year-old son and she just like leaves it out on the table and she comes home one day and he's just watching it. And I'm like, what? You're such an idiot. Why are you <laughs> leaving this tape out? You're like hallucinating. You're seeing like, like millipedes and, and you know, all sorts of like weird stuff. And you're just leaving this tape out for anyone to see. Um, so, yeah, then the rest of the movie is, like, investigating the origins of the tape and, like, who the girl is. And there's there's a woman featured prominently in the, I guess, it's kind of like a short film or whatever. It's, it's very, like, I think they even make a joke about it in, like, 
the the movie where like the guy that she shows the tape to is like yeah it's very like art film like because it's just like a bunch of like shots of like there's a woman brushing her hair in a mirror and then she looks at the camera and then it's a shot of like a lighthouse and then there's horses and then and then there's like a well and then there's a girl that like starts climbing out of it and then the woman who's brushing her hair jumps off a cliff and it's very kind of artsy um which is funny because like the first time you watch it and the movie does a very clever thing and it probably would be a whole lot less scary i guess if i didn't know that the girl was going to climb out of the tv eventually um, but every time a character in the movie watches a movie or anything on a TV, the, the frame of it is not like, you're not like, you know, it isn't like, eh, hey, we're watching someone watch something on a TV and then we just cut to like the footage of what they're actually watching. The like reverse shot is of the TV as it's playing. So... They do that a couple times, and then, of course, at the very end, they do that something very similar, but then she comes out of the TV. So it's a big, scary scene. Um, Eek. Yeah, it's very frightening. But, yeah, so you're watching it the first time, and it's in this, you know, you're watching the TV as it's playing it, and it's pretty scary. They got, like, some, like, droning music behind it. We're getting, like reverse shots to Naomi Watts watching it and she's like freaking out and then you know of course after the the movie ends then the phone rings that's like the other thing that happens as soon as you finish (laughs) watching the movie the phone rings um and then she like freaks out she runs out of the cabin and then like it's kind of funny because then like five minutes later she shows it to this dude and he just like (laughs) walks out and he's just like yeah Kind of corny, I guess. I don't know. So it's kind of funny to get that juxtaposition right there. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I, I I did struggle a bit with it just because it's, it's a very creepy movie. Uh, there's not a whole lot of jump scares. Like I said, the only real one happens at like 15 minutes. And that's at like the niece's funeral where they're like talking... It's just like they're at the funeral. It's like a wake or something where they're like at the the niece's house and then, you know, just like a bunch of people are there and they're talking. She's asking questions to people because she's a reporter. And then like she's talking with, uh, the I guess, the niece's parents, which is like her sister. And they're like kind of out of it and then, She says something along the lines of, like, I saw her body, and then it, like, cuts to the the niece's face. And whenever you die after watching the tape, then your face gets all distorted. Uh, You kind of look like the kid from The Exorcist, uh, all kind of mangled. But, you know, like, no eyes, big mouth, you know. Typical jump big scare mouth. stuff. It's like Big Mouth. You look like the character from Big Mouth. It's scariest that's the worst. thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the only like real jump scare where it just like cuts to a, a distorted face out of nowhere. Um, but then after that, it's yeah, nothing really like that. Even at the end, 
where you see the girl come out of the TV. Like, I don't know what I saw as a kid. It may have been from the sequel because there is a sequel, but like, I remember seeing like, it was like dark and there's just like this ominous blue light coming. And then you see like, she's just like slowly approaching the TV and then her hand reaches out and then she like, you know, moves really fast and she's like all contorted and her body like does all sorts of like weird stuff. That's not in this movie at all. So I don't know what I saw where I'm like, ah, girl comes through the TV and then she's all weird. Um, because like she comes out of the TV in the end, it's the middle of the day. We're just at like the, the dude's, office he's like a I think he's like a photographer or something maybe he works with video um and she just like walks out and then she just like (laughs) walks up to him he's just like in the chair and then he dies and then we don't even see it um it's like okay like that's I don't know what I was so scared of this movie is it's not like lame because it's it's a lot of atmosphere that's really great Um, but yeah, I was just like, I don't know. I don't know what I saw. It might've been the sequel. I'm not going to watch the sequel just because nobody ever talks about the ring too. But, um, yeah, I will say I do like the ending of a horror movie that kind of implicates the main character, makes them evil. And this movie does that. Um, It kind of has the same vibe as like a Rosemary's Baby, but not executed as well. I mean, obviously, it's one of the best endings to a movie ever. Um, But like the end of this movie, Naomi Watts lives after seven days. And this guy that she showed the tape to dies. And she's like, well, why did why did I live and why did he die and then we get flashbacks to before because when um she was investigating the tape she made a copy of it and then her son ended up watching that copy and so she's like oh it's because i made a copy of it and then i showed it to someone else that's what saved me and what didn't save this guy and so then the end of the movie is like her and her son at like the VHS copy place. And then she's like moving his hand to like make the copy. And then like, I think like the ending line is like, don't worry, son, you're going to be okay. And then her son asks like, well, what about the person we show this to? And then it just like ends. I'm like, Ooh, that's good. That's good. Because I thought that like, It was going to have kind of a hopeful ending where, you know, they made it out and then it's all good. But nope, they're actually going to be, I guess, kind of murderers and spreading this disease even more. Um, So interesting. And it's a very interesting ending. Not what I was expecting. Uh, So, yeah, I would I would recommend The Ring. Uh, Plus, Brian Cox is in it. The. the dad from Succession. Let's go. So he doesn't say um, "fuck off," like darn. Unfortunately, it's his thing. It's a little weird because he didn't have any facial hair, and I'm like, "Is that 
is that Brian Cox? It kind of looks like him, but I don't recognize him. I mean, he's like 20 years younger than he was in the show, and then he's clean shaven. But yeah, it was him. Like, wow, that's cool. I like Brian Cox in that show. And he's not in this movie very long, but I won't say why. Wonder why. Really, nothing bad happens. Nothing bad happens. He's just a nice old man. Um, definitely doesn't kill himself in a bathtub. It's not why would you do that? That's not what happens. <laughs> well, he's in it for like a minute. That's, he's he's <laughs> in the scene and then he dies. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> So it must be awesome to like get hired for a horror movie because there's like a 90% chance you're like not on screen a lot because you're just like a dude that dies. Yeah. And he was like fifth build. So it's a good gig. <laughs> it is. Easy money. Yeah. Unless you're like a lady, then you're going to be in it the whole time. Yeah. And probably naked. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially if you're in a Friday the 13th movie. Not that they make those anymore. But we already talked Yet. about I'm that. I'm sure they'll reboot. Oh, <laughs> uh, they already are. And yeah. It's A24 that's doing it. It never ends. Yep. They're, they're making the prequel show, Camp Crystal Lake. Mm, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Because A24 wants to move away from making independent movies and wants to focus on IP and existing properties. Great. Yes. Because we don't have enough companies doing that. I know. <laughs> Well, it's kind of weird because they have the rights to Friday the 13th, I guess, because they're making that show. And then they were, like, fighting really hard to get the rights to Halloween. Um, mm. But then I think they lost it. I don't remember to who. Thank God. Yeah. I don't remember who it was. But suffice to say, expect a Midsummer 2. Maybe uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once 2. I don't know all the Personally big ones. waiting for the seven Five Nights at Freddy's movies. Oh, well, <laughs> that's not A24. Okay. Uh, but it will happen. It probably will. I don't know. I don't know how well this movie is performing. It actually performed, like, really well. <laughs> okay. I think the budget was $30 million, and the last I saw it made $180 million. Oh, well, yeah. That's the Blumhouse model. Yeah, that's, I suppose. When they make horror movies, they make really small budgets so even if they don't make anything and like box office they still end up making a profit true um I, I could like see them picking up more like niche video game horror ips and like just doing this as a thing yeah yeah i don't know I like that's the direction they'll take blumhouse's amnesia yeah Although I don't, I don't think there's any demand for any more amnesia. That's like such a 2012 thing. I don't know any modern horror movies besides or horror games besides like Resident Evil and like Silent Hill. Which yeah. have you seen the stuff for the new Silent Hill? That looks awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh boy, I, I I'm loving this post Kojima Konami era. They are just knocking it out of the park. Um, should I explain the, the Silent Hill stuff? Does anyone care? Up to you. We got time. Okay, yeah, why not? 
Uh, I did watch two other movies, but oh, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to it. Um, yeah, the, so Silent Hill, for those who don't know, was a kind of a niche horror franchise in the PlayStation 1 and 2? I don't know if there were any games for the 2. Maybe there was. Uh, I'm clearly not an authority on horror things. I couldn't get three minutes into The Conjuring. Um, <laughs> but yeah, kind of niche. Uh, and then in 2015, I think, around there, uh, they released a the PT, which stood for Playable Test, on the PlayStation 4, which was just a hallway that took a right turn and then you open a door to the same hallway. You do that over and over again and stuff changes and it made such a big buzz. Um, and then I think it was, I think Kojima was working on it. And then once Kojima got kicked out of Konami, then they shelved that project and took PT off of the PlayStation store. So if you have a lot of money, you can still play PT because if there are PlayStation 4s that have it installed. Flappy Bird situation. It's a Flappy <laughs> Bird situation. And I think they sell for, I'm not sure, probably upwards of $1,000. Yeah, I do eBay. remember this. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So that was the last kind of thing that was Silent Hill related because that was going to be Silent Hills pulling a Aliens or or Predators type sequel thing, which doesn't really make sense with the location, you know? It's like, it would be like Escape from New York's. I, I don't know. Uh, but then that was canceled, and so then now they're making a new Silent Hill game called Silent Hill Ascension. Well, I guess game in quotes, I guess. Um, because I guess it's going to be like a live stream, Thing that you're gonna have to pay to get I don't know if it's free you know, it might be free to watch but then you have to pay currency to vote in a live stream on what <laughs> happens in the game so it's barely a game it's kind of like a visual novel but slideshow it's a it's a slideshow <laughs> that you may or may not get the outcome you want because it's being voted on by the masses so uh, yeah not a very good idea but seeing the stills that they have been releasing have been really funny because it's like full of how corporate people think live stream chat looks and it's just like, <laughs> it's like wow, wow. <laughs> awesome oh boy i am so scared here come the cults like that's nobody talks like that <laughs> the live stream um granted i don't know if this is gonna be on i don't even know what if it's gonna be like a free game that you have to then that's a live stream through that because it looked like it wasn't like twitch's ui or, or anything like that so i think it just might be like a free game you download and then that gives you access to a live stream suffice to say it's gonna be great and frankly, I can't wait to spend tens of hundreds of dollars just voting because I love voting. Go to vote.gov. 
um, to register to vote. Very important to participate in democracy, Most especially the election of our lives, guys. <laughs> especially the democracy of what happens in a in a Silent Hill game. Yes. So that's the Silent Hill drama. It's a very big drama. Great. Um. Yeah. So. I don't know. <laughs> That's that. That's it for the horror section this week. Next week we will be we will be back on the marathon train. I give you my word. We are going to be watching The Witch, The Empty Man, and Us. I think I can handle them. Um, even though the Us trailer freaked me out, I'm going to be brave. Um, brave little boy. I'll do it. Um, so... Yeah, we'll we'll finish the horror marathon in the second week of November because that's how it worked out. But uh, I did watch two other movies this week. I thought it would be interesting. Well, maybe not interesting. I don't know. This is more for me than it is for the podcast. I went ahead and rewatched two movies that I rated five out of five stars. They are very drastically different movies. But I was like, okay, I need to look at what I rated five stars and I need to see if they hold up. So recently I went ahead and I think I lowered The Dark Knight and American Psycho. Even though I love both of those movies, I'm like, they don't really hold a candle to do the right thing, which is what we're going to be talking about this week, Um, which is a very, it's a hard movie to talk about. It raises a lot of ethical questions, a lot of socio-political questions. Uh, even the title, Do the Right Thing, is kind of <laughs> ambiguous, because what does that even mean? Um, and I thought I would start with the first entry in Spike Lee's director journal that was included in the Criterion release of this movie. Um, Because basically, while Spike Lee was making this movie, he kept a journal of everything that uh, was going on while he was in production, pre-production, post-production. And Criterion has it. It came with a little book, and it's the journal. So I think to set it up, if you... I've never even heard of this movie. Maybe you don't know a single thing about it. I'm going to let Spike Lee do it. I'm going to read a little passage. So, here we go. I want most of the film to take place on one block. Um, It's been my observation that when the temperature rises beyond a certain point, people lose it. Little incidents can spark major conflicts. Bump into someone on the street and you're liable to get shot. A petty argument between husband and wife can launch into a divorce proceeding, and heat makes everything explosive, including the racial climate of the city. Racial tensions in the city are high as it is, but when the weather is hot, forget about it. This might be the core of a vicious climax for the film. So, that's that was why what's going on here. It's a Brooklyn. It's a block in Brooklyn. Uh, 1989, um, uh, a time where I think, what was it? Howard Beach 
there was a racial incident that went on there in the mid to late 80s where there were three black men that were, uh, I think their car broke down somewhere around New York City, and then they walked three miles, ended up in a white neighborhood. They were trying to find a payphone, ended up being jumped by three white teenagers, and I think one got acquitted, and then the other one was, like, just not even tried. Um, So racial tensions were very high at this time, and Spike Lee wanted to turn that into a movie and that's what we got so it's the hottest day in august which i have to say it's kind of quaint now because it's like record-breaking high 98 degrees i'm like oh that's not record that's (laughs) That's not even close to record-breaking now um but it's it's you know but yeah most of of the movie it's taking place it's a real block in brooklyn like they actually scouted a real block and then shot in it. Um, and basically the, I guess the, how the racial conflict comes to be is that there is a pizzeria on the corner of the block. Sal's famous pizzeria, pizzeria, which is run by Sal and his two sons. Um, they are more or less accepted in the community. Sal has been there for, 20 or so years, uh, built this place with his bare hands, as he likes to point out. Um, one of his sons, I think his name is Vito, is friends with our main character, Mookie, who's played by Spike Lee, and seems to be more down with um, the black struggle, especially compared to his brother, Pino, played by John Turturro, who's just... Mm. Pino is just blatantly racist um, against like race mixing and like just like openly calls all the people that goes into the store N-words and is just the worst guy. Um, So you kind of have this like balance here where, and maybe I'm spending too much time establishing the white characters, but I think it's important because they are very important to what happens at the end um, and what all goes on. Because, you know, Pino obviously represents the, like, blatantly racism, and then Vito is more like, yeah, I'm with you, man, but I'm also white. So, like, there's that disconnect. And then Sal's just like, well, yeah, I like making money and... They like my pizza, so I'm just going to stay here. Um, And, like, Sal is the type of person to, like, he's nice to these people, but then, like, as soon as there's something that, like, you know, as soon as conflict arises, then the real Sal comes out, and he's definitely doesn't think very highly of the black folk in this community. Um... And so that is that is the crux. Most of the scenes take place outside of this pizzeria, but it's a very important location in this movie because it is where our protagonist works. Mookie is a delivery, like not not a delivery driver. He just takes the pizzas and walks around the block, um, and he is. 
He's the type of person who can't really hold down a job. He's living with his sister and he's, you know, but he's been there for a month and Sal has been more or less nice to him. So he keeps working there, but all around him, him are important characters in the community. I think maybe my favorite is the mayor. He is uh, an older guy, kind of like the town drunk, but also kind of has a heart of gold. He's he's a he's kind of the moralist. Well, not really, but like Welk moralist. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think he might be kind of an audience surrogate, just in that like he has a lot of wisdom, even though he has a lot of flaws. Um, some characters are just blatantly mean to him because he, I don't know if he's homeless, but he is constantly has a be like a beer in his hand. He's always drunk, but like when people ask him for advice or like he's just really kind and he knows a lot and he's been through a lot and that's kind of alluded through the movie. Um, but yeah, he's just, he's just always a joy when he's on the screen um, and then I think probably the most famous thing to come out of this movie is the character of Radio Rahim. Um, this, he's a really big guy who carries around a boom box <laughs> everywhere he goes, always blasting public enemy. It's the only music he likes. And it's, I've never heard, yeah, I know. Uh, but he like, it's just always fight the power it's always that song <laughs> and people do are like man can you play anything else why is it always this one public enemy song he's like this is the only music i like and i want to listen to it and so he's just always walking around with this big boom box and he has these two like knuckle dust dusters on uh, i think right hand says love and then left hand is hate um and there's a nice little monologue from him about that. Um, and so he's a very important character. He ends up, uh, I guess, being uh, one of the most important things at the end of this movie, which I think I want to do a scene breakdown at the very end because I think, well, I mean, it's the most important thing about this movie is the ending. Um and so, but we need to establish everything that's going on. And then I, I guess probably the most important character, the impetus for why the ending happens is Giancarlo Esposito's Buggin' Out, who is, I think he's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of hard to describe like what he is, but like he, he like is always talking about like, um, he seems to be kind of like a, a black activist. Um, and so like the main conflict of the movie is that bugging out at the very beginning is at Sal's famous and on the wall of Sal's famous, there is a wall of fame that is all famous Italian Americans. There's like Frank Sinatra, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, you know, all these Italian Americans and bugging out. It's like, Hey, you're in a black neighborhood. 
you should probably put some black people up on the wall. And Sal's like, hey, get your own place and you can put who you want on the wall. And so bugging out is basically like, I'm going to start a boycott of Sal's famous until we get some black people on the wall. And so he starts trying to organize it and he recruits a couple people. Um, and then, I don't know, it's hard to like set stuff up and not bring up the end because it is very important. So I think we'll just jump into it. Um, so it's at the end of the movie, Sal's Famous is closed. Everybody is kind of gathered around, right? Not everybody, but Mookie, the two sons, and Sal are closing out at the end of the day. Sal kind of goes on this speech, and he's like, it's really great, this place that we've built. I love that we've been able to work here as a family. I think I'm going to change the name of the restaurant to Sal and Sons because, well, you're going to take it over from me one day and well I want to name it after you guys and he's like Mookie you know you always have a place here you've been like a son to me which is kind of crazy since he's only been there a month but I guess Sal is feeling nostalgic um and then at that moment a group of um not people that have been on board with the boycott but uh another kind of auxiliary group of of black teenagers kind of come by and they want a slice. And Sal's like, hey, you know what? They love my pizza. I'll let them in. And so then they take a seat at the booth. And then at that moment, Bugging Out comes in with his, with Radio Rahim, who he had recruited into the boycott. And then they start yelling. They, they get into a big, a big, argument about put black people on the wall we want black people on the wall and at first those four teenagers that came in are like hey sal dust them up like get them out of here like we love your pizza and then sal as i alluded to earlier as soon as any sort of conflict comes out then the real side comes out and he starts calling them all sorts of slurs he drops the n-word a couple times and then the teenager's like, yo, bugging out, you need to get this guy. Uh, Radio Rahim, you need to light this guy up. And it all kind of escalates when Sal takes a baseball bat and breaks Radio Rahim's boombox. And then Radio Rahim starts choking out Sal. It breaks out. Everybody's fighting. And then the cops show up and they start dispersing people. They get Radio Rahim in a chokehold, and one of the police officers just keeps him there. The other cop is like, yo, you're being too hard on him. You got to let him go, and he doesn't, and Radio Rahim dies because this cop was being too extreme, which, frankly, has never happened before. Nope. Um, <laughs> uh, that's definitely the hardest scene to watch, I think. Um, but then what follows is like the rawest form of like, of expression of the anger that these types of events have like filled this community with where everybody has kind of gathered around in this community and they've all turned on Sal and Sal's like, I didn't do it. The cop did, but it's like, we know <laughs> that, you know, the, the cops took away 
I guess, the, the body of Radio Rahim. They locked up, bugging out, but Sal and uh, his two sons are fine. They, they weren't even questioned. They were just left there. And so everyone turns on them, and nothing, nothing happens initially, but we see Mookie goes, goes off and empties a trash can, and then he throws the trash can through the window of Sal's Famous, and then that's when the violence, and there's kind of a big riot, they run into the restaurant, they, they start destroying stuff, they're taking money out of the register, and then one character lights the place on fire, and it's interesting. There's a character I didn't talk about named Mother Sister, who's kind of like the, the matriarch, and at the beginning, she's like, burn it down, burn it down. You can tell that she's just as mad as all of these people are that Radio was killed, and then as the place is burning up, she's just screaming, no, no, please, no, and the mayor has to run over and, and hold her. And it's just really, it's it's a really intense scene, just seeing all of this carnage and, um, and justifiably so. I mean, it's it's, I think this is like why this movie is so talked about. I think there's a lot of debate as to like why did Mookie throw the trash can? Why was he the first one to start it? Um, I have my own opinions. I don't. I don't really think it's my place to give it, but I think um, it's it's just it's just an amazing movie. And if you have not seen Do the Right Thing, there's so much to this movie that I have not talked about. I highly, highly urge everyone to. Um, so please watch Do the Right Thing at, at some point. I, I do believe it is important for everyone that lives in America and, and certainly everywhere else because it is not just about racial conflicts in America. It is about racial conflicts in general. But, wow, what a great movie. Spike Lee is, is an amazing director. Can't wait for what he's going to do next. I gave it three stars. I gave it three stars. Three stars. <laughs> no, no. This this is clearly a masterpiece. It's probably his best. I think all of Spike Lee's movies I've given five stars that I've seen, those being Black Klansman, Malcolm X, and this one. But I think this one is definitely the best out of those three, even though I think they're all perfect masterpieces. But... You know, you can still kind of have, you know, preferences, and even if they're all perfect. So, yeah. So now let's talk about a perfect masterpiece that is completely and utterly different than this movie in pretty much every way. Um, tonally, uh, everything, everything. Uh, I watched The Princess Bride. Um <laughs> Now, I think, I don't know if I'm going to get a lot of flack for giving this a perfect review, but I think for what this movie is, I think it's, it's perfect. Um, it's not trying to be, like, I can't just give, like, all of the, like, serious, 
like society ones five stars and then like well this one's just a fantasy i can't rate this one as high because this, the end of this movie makes me feel things too um so i don't know i can't ignore it but this was uh i think another late 80s one um this was a rob reiner uh, picture on a hot streak I think it was like, this is Spinal Tap, Into Stand By Me, Into the Princess Bride. And then I think after that, he made When Harry Met Sally, which is a great rom-com. So those are all four great movies. Uh, All all of them are very different, too. Um, I mean, This is Spinal Tap is a mockumentary about a fake band. And then Stand By Me as a Stephen King thing. And then, you know, this is like a fantasy fairy tale thing. And then When Harry Met Sally is a 90s rom-com. So it's like within the span of like six or seven years, he was doing all sorts of stuff. But uh, for what this is, I think it's it's great. Um, all of the acting in it is, is really good. Um, everyone's giving really great comedic performances um and i think there's just a lot of heart and like the i'm not sure if i'm using the right word here but like the extra textual stuff where it's like because the whole framing device of the movie is that it's like there's this kid who's sick and so his grandpa is coming over to read him uh like a fairy tale story that has been kind of passed down generation to generation. It's like his dad read it to him and then he's read it to his father. And then he's come over when this kid is sick to read it to his grandson, just kind of keeping that tradition alive. And, you know, his grandson is initially resistant to it. He's like, Oh, it's the princess bride. Is this going to have kissing in it? It doesn't even have sports. And like, this kid is like, (laughs) The it's like epitome of like eighties kid from Chicago where there's he's wearing like a Bears jersey and there's like a Cubs banner on the wall and it's just like okay this kid it's the most like I love sports I'm a kid in the eighties I'm sick I'm wearing a Bears jersey that's what I want to wear I'm not gonna wear like a robe or anything anything to keep me all warm and toasty. Nope. A bear's Jersey. Um, and so he's like, I wouldn't want to listen to it. There's not any sports, but it's a great, a great tale. I'm obviously not going to have as much to say about this one just because I don't know. There, there isn't like, there isn't like a parallel to today's societal ramifications it's just like this is just a fun fairy tale um i think it's it's really fun just like everybody's hamming it up obviously but like also like the sets and maybe this is just because it's a 40 year old movie so like the sets aren't convincing but i think they probably are like intentionally so like at the beginning of the movie they're like climbing this giant cliff to get up to the top of of this like i don't even know like a plateau i guess you would call it um but it's a cartoonishly huge cliff 
And so they all get on Andre the Giant's back, and he's climbing up. Um, and then when they get to the top, it's just like, I think they're supposed to be in like a ruins of like a castle or something, but like it doesn't look like stone. Like you can tell it's just like, I don't even know. It's like probably just like spray painted styrofoam that like they etched like brick lines into and they painted those lines darker. Like it's not convincing. And then like the, the sky behind them, you can tell is like just like a canvas or something. It's like right there. Um, but I think within the context of this being a fairy tale story that is being read to a kid, I think it works really, really well as it's not supposed to be convincing. Like this is something that would be like an illustration in the book. And that kind of carries over throughout the entire movie. Everything is exaggerated and not quite convincing, but everyone's giving it their all. Um, I will say that the ROUSs, the rodents of unusual size that are in the fire swamp, uh, clearly just a little person in a rat costume that's crawling around <laughs> on all fours. I was, when they first showed up, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. I wonder how they like puppeted that. Like it kind of reminded me of like a dark crystal or, or what's the other one that Henson did? Like labyrinth where like Jim Henson was like, I'm going to make some dark stuff. Because uh, I don't want to be just like a kid's entertainer. I want people to take me seriously as a puppeteer, which I feel like is kind of an oxymoron. Yeah. Um, but that's what it was reminding me of. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, I wonder if Jim Henson did this because around this time, like people were recruiting him to make um, like puppets that they would use. Like the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie was... Uh, those costumes were designed by the Jim Henson company and Jim Henson worked directly on those, um, which is why the suits in the first one actually look really good and why the suits in the second one look not as good because I think Jim Henson died in between those two. So like one of the last things that Jim Henson worked on was the live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, which is, I don't know, it's just a thing. It's, I don't, it's not good or bad. It's just a thing to say, I guess. Um, <laughs> but, and then like the, the rats started moving a little bit and I'm like, oh, that's just like a little person that they dressed up as a rat. And then they had them crawl around like, oh, that's, that's not what I was expecting, but goes along with what I was saying. You know, this isn't this elaborate, like puppet or, or something like that animatronic something, you know, it's, it's so homemade everything is is i don't know all the sets are just kind of like cartoony and fantasy and fun it isn't like lord of the rings or anything like that where everything feels so real even you watch those lord of the rings movies these days and i would say like 95 percent of all of the like special effects look great because a lot of that was practical um, of course, all of the scenes where Orlando Bloom is like flipping around, those don't look so good, but, uh, you know, a lot of that's practical and all that looks great. And I think this looks great too. It's just very different, um, where it doesn't look real at all, but I don't know, part of the charm. So also the writing is just really good. 
Like there's so many great lines that I had forgotten about with this movie. Um, and I will say that there is some nostalgia too. You know, I watched this movie all the time when I was a kid. This is one of my mom's favorite movies. So like I saw this movie all the time when I was a kid, I could probably quote like half of it, but like I hadn't seen it since maybe middle school. So like it had been like a really long time and there was still like lines that like I could, I knew were coming up and I'm like, Oh man, I've seen this movie so much. Uh, but it's so good. Uh, I'd, I'd recommend it. Obviously I don't think this one is like required viewing. Like I think do the right thing is, but I think it's for what it is. It's great. It's a, it's a great movie. So check it out. I don't know if I'll keep it at five out of five stars. I might move it out, move it down to four and a half, but it, I don't know. I really like it. So shoot me. Okay. Also, the ring, I gave four stars. Just, I I don't usually say the ratings of new movies that I've seen, but that one's at a four star. Just so that it that's all cleared up. Because that movie's great. So. And there you go. Um, theoretically, I could talk about Spider-Man 2 again. <laughs> because <laughs> I finished it. Not only did I finish it, I got the platinum trophy for it, which I will say is less an achievement now than it used to be because this is one of the easiest platinum trophies I've ever gotten, which for those who don't know, is when you get all of the achievements in a game, then you get the platinum trophy on PlayStation. Um, I don't do it for every game I play, but the ones that I really like or the ones that are really easy like this one was. Um, uh, I'll say, like, within the last two weeks, I got the Platinum Trophy in the original Infamous on the PlayStation 3 and Spider-Man 2, and I'm way more proud of the Infamous one because I had to play through the whole game three times, and then I spent, like, five hours searching for every single blast shard that was just spread through the open world and there's they didn't show up on the map, so you had to manually go around and try to find them in every nook and cranny. It's the worst. I don't recommend anyone do that, but I did it. And I'm like, <laughs> it's like, that one is probably the one I'm more proud of. Um, but yeah, I finished Spider-Man 2. I don't want to get into the story just because we're still not far enough away from the release to do that. But... I will say, I, I won't talk about this game for very long, but I want to say that I am very, very disappointed in the suit choices for both of the Spider-Men, because I have unlocked them all, and I uh, it's, it's unfortunate, because I think... I'm just thinking back to the suit selection in the first game... There was so much represented there from movies, but also uh, a lot of a lot of like comic stuff, a lot of like other like video game references. And it was like, man, that was so cool. It felt like such a representation of the entire Spider-Man mythos. And there was a lot of stuff for span for fans of the franchise like myself. So I thought that was really cool. But. I was so disappointed. Like, 
those last suits that you get in the original Spider-Man games are, are some of the cooler ones, some of the more niche ones. I mean, like the spirit spider one where Spider-Man is a skull, like a flaming skull. It's so edgy for no reason. Uh, <laughs> don't know why that's like in there, but um, that one was like one of the last ones. And it's just like, that was cool. Just to get like these really niche ones. I kid you not, the last suit you unlock as Peter is the like uh, inside out black and gold suit from Far From Home. I'm like, that's not, that's lame. Why? The last five suits, I, I kid you not, the last five suits you unlock for Peter are all from MCU. So you're getting like the black and red one from far from home. And then you get like the blue and red one that he wears for like one minute at the end of no way home. And then you get like the iron spider from infinity war. And then (laughs) it's just like, why put these at the beginning? If you're going to include all of these MCU ones, put them at the beginning because that's like when people play this game, I mean, like, you know, people who like more newcomers or or fans of MCU who are just like, hey, there's a Spider-Man game. I'll play it. Those are the costumes that they're going to want to play as nobody cares about the superior Spider-Man suit except for me. Don't don't make that one of the first ones. If that was the last suit I unlocked, that would be the best thing ever. But it's like one of the first ones. And. It's like, uh, okay, I love the Superior Spider-Man. It's a, a weird, a weird storyline in the comics where, where Doc Ock and Peter switch brains. And so Doc Ock is like, I'm going to be Spider-Man and I'm going to do it way better than you. And I'm going to go as the Superior Spider-Man just to rub it in your face. Um, not a very good comic, but it's a really cool suit. Um, and so I'm like, yeah, that's, that's sick. I'm glad that they included it. But then I was just like, man, I'm like, oh, what's the next one going to be? Oh, it's another MCU one. Oh, but I still have two left. Maybe there's going to be one more niche one. Oh no, it's another MC, but the last one, that's gonna, that one's going to be cool. I know it's going to be because you have to be the max level to get it. And then it's the black and gold one from the one scene in the far from home. And I'm like, who's using this? Nobody, nobody was asking for this. Why is this the last suit? Maybe it's because nobody's going to use it. That you like, you know, once you get to the last level, then it's like, oh, well, you don't have much of the game left, so you're probably not going to use it anyways. But man, it was so disappointing. Um, and then, uh, don't even get me started on Miles suits. So probably 60 to 70% of Miles suits are copy-pasted from the Miles Morales game uh, compared to maybe... of Peter's suits from um, the original Spider-Man. Granted, a lot of the suits that they added to Spider-Man 2 are the, like, free suits that they included, like, after the fact or in, like, DLC. So, like, some of those suits were probably, like, lesser known because you would have had to either buy the DLC or 
replay Spider-Man like a year after the game came out when they finally added like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man suit or like the amazing Spider-Man one suit. Um, I don't know. Is this too nerdy? Can I talk about this? Is this Dude. fine? Okay. I just feel Don't like you I'm, know what podcast you're I know. I just I just feel like this is so niche. Um, well, not niche that it, I mean this is a very high selling game, but like I don't know if anyone else cares about this, especially since I don't think Miles Morales was particularly high selling. I think a, a lot of people have complained about the length of that game, um, but I mean. I honestly would have been more upset if they charged the full 70 for it. I mean, it was a launch game for the PS5, but it also released like same day on the PS4 and it was only 50 bucks. And for what you're paying, I think that's pretty fair. It's not as big of a game as the, uh, the original Spider-Man game. And so I think that's, that's pretty fair for what it is. Um, it's just a game about miles. Um, not that, like, I don't know. It's just kind of like a side story. Uh, a Spider-Man 1.5, if you will. Um, I don't think you necessarily have to play it to play Spider-Man 2. Um, but, yeah. So, like, almost all of Miles' suits are just copy-pasted from that game. And then the suits that they did add are bad <laughs> for the most part. I think there was, like... Only like one other suit that I was really using besides the stock one, just the regular one that you get. I I mean, I'm just a fan of Miles' like regular suit. I, I don't know. Like, you don't really need to add any more to it. Um, I will say it was cool that they included both the Into and Across the Spider-Verse suits as separate ones. I... I do appreciate that, although I almost exclusively used Into because I like the uh, spray-painted Spider-Man logo. I think that's pretty cool. But, yeah, his suit selection was whack, and also that suit that everyone is making fun of, I was expecting it to be, like, I don't know, just, like, a later suit unlock. That is, like, one of the last missions in the game. He gets that suit, and it's like the grand reveal where he's like, yeah, I thought I would make a Morales original, and he's wearing the lamest suit on the planet, and I'm like, what the hell? Why did you guys pick this one? Why? It doesn't make any sense. It, I get what they're trying to do, and if you don't know what I'm referencing, there's this suit that Miles is wearing, um... And I, I don't really have any complaints about, like, the body of it, even though it's not great. But the the mask is just the, the regular Miles Morales mask, but he, but he cut, like, the uh, top of it off so that his, like, curls can show. And it doesn't really work. Um, uh, it just, it doesn't look, it doesn't look very good. So... It was just weird. And then, like, as soon as he got that suit, I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to switch immediately. And then, like, a cutscene happened, and then it auto-switched me back to the suit, and then it wouldn't let me change it for the last mission. So I had to do the last mission in one of the worst Spider-Man suits ever. So it was <laughs> that was kind of lame. But, yeah, I just thought I would talk about that because it made me unreasonably upset. But... Honestly, it was one of the most, like, 
one of the things that I was most excited about with this Spider-Man game was seeing what new suits they added. And it was, I was just really disappointed in that. Um, I know they're planning on adding suits post-launch, but unless you're going to be adding some DLC, I, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to play this game again anytime soon, but who knows? I still play the original one fairly regularly, you know, maybe once a year, maybe once every two years. I don't know, but yeah, I don't know. I will say I'll give some props to the suits, even though I just was very upset about them. I will say that Peter's black suit looks really good. And it also changes as, as it goes, as the symbiote starts getting more and more control of his mind, his symbiote suit looks more and more like Venom. And that's cool. I really liked it. It was really subtle. Like they never really drew any attention to it, but like eventually, like I started noticing, I'm like, whoa, that's, that's different. And then it was pretty cool. Also, <laughs> one last thing one of the later suits you get is the classic black suit look the kind of i think it's michael ozek was the guy that designed the original one you know the classic black suit he has like the kind of the white squares on the top of his hands um i think it was originally for the the secret wars arc um and uh, one of the really cool things about this game is that there's alternate like color swatches that you can do like three additional ones for a lot of the suits in the game. And for that classic black suit is something that is really only for kind of fans like I am where it's a, it doesn't really change the color of the suit at all, but it changes like the shading where like one half of the suit is illuminated blue and then the other half is illuminated red and that is a reference to how Venom and the black suit was portrayed in the original comic run because a lot of the times they were swinging around in the dark. And so to illuminate the black suit in kind of silhouette, they would do one half blue and one half red. Uh, kind of hard to just describe audioly, but I think I did an okay job. So I thought that was a really cool addition where I'm like, okay, that's something for us super spider fans but um and then it was all mcu stuff so i was just very disappointed um especially since i don't think that those uh those mcu movies are fantastic i think i think my favorite one might be no way home but i really like homecoming that one is just a really simple spider-man story it doesn't have a lot of mcu stuff in it i mean iron man's there but, I mean, a lot of it is just Spider-Man stuff. Um, and the rest, I mean, Far From Home and No Way Home are like MCU movies. That's kind of like what they feel like. Uh, even though No Way Home is kind of just like a continuation of those other Sony movies, too, also. I don't know. One day I'll, I'll do a breakdown of all the Spider-Man movies, but that would require me to watch The Amazing Spider-Man 2 again, which I would argue is not only one of the worst Spider-Man movies, but it is 
it might be in the running for one of the worst movies of all time. Um, especially like big, like professionally made movies. I'm not talking like your amazing bulks or anything, but like of in terms of like big budget Hollywood movies, I think the amazing Spider-Man two might be one of the worst movies of all time. So I'm not looking forward to rewatching it. Um, Maybe, maybe if I ever get together with our friend Grant, we'll watch it with him because he likes those movies for some reason. Uh, <laughs> because he has the worst taste ever. A bit of a contrarian. A little bit of a contrarian, but uh, yeah, which I thought was funny. They included the like both of the amazing suits. So the amazing Spider-Man one suit, which I would argue is actually a really good suit. Um, it's uh, okay. Here's what I'll say about that suit. And this, I'm sorry, this is so nerdy. I know, I know that's the point of this podcast, but I'm, it's nerd. I'm sorry. Make fun of him. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Here's kind of my problem with those amazing movies is that they kind of try to have their cake and eat it too, where they're like, this Spider-Man is a, it's more realistic. It's a more kind of dark and gritty version of the Spider-Man thing. Like, how would he actually do this? Where those Raimi movies were more like hearkening back to like the golden age of like the 50s, 60s stuff. Um, you know, classic kind of superhero stuff. Um, and so like what's really cool about that amazing suit that's kind of different than the the Raimi ones is that like, well, you know, Spider-Man starts off and he has his wrestling suit and then he just magically has like a really well-made suit. And it's like, is he like a seamstress? How the hell did he make that? And amazing still has that problem too, but they try to fix it where it's like, well, Spider-Man wouldn't know how to make a visor. So we're just going to have him, get some sunglasses and then make those his like eye holes. So he just has like two sunglasses that have like kind of been angled and that's a cool touch, but he also just magically gets like a really well-made suit that just has sunglasses and the eye holes. So I really like that touch, but it's just, it doesn't save it. And then the amazing Spider-Man two suit is just awful in terms of like, design his eyes are way too big and then like the spider logo on the back is too small just all the proportions are off and bad and then when i saw that suit the amazing spider-man 2 suit in the spider-man 2 engine and compared it to like other spider-man suits around it i'm like wow i didn't realize how bad this suit is until i compared it to other ones um so i know weirdly that suit was like one of the higher downloaded mods for the original Spider-Man on the like the PS4 one that was on the PC makes it hard to talk about. Um, so I don't know. I know some people like it. Some people like those amazing Spider-Man movies. I just choose to believe that they're dumb. Um, it, it's just kind of weird. Here, here, I don't know. I'm almost done. Sorry. But... Um, What's different with, like, Spider-Man fans 
and I'm going to compare it to The Last Airbender. I think these are both movies that I have half a star of. I would say they're both equally terrible uh, in terms of adapting their source material and also just being really bad movies in general. But, like, The Last Airbender fans don't defend the, like, cool stuff in The Last Airbender, mainly because there isn't any. But if there was, I'm trying to think, is there anything cool in that M. Night Shyamalan Last Airbender movie? If you were, like, ten, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I'm trying to think. There's nothing. There's nothing cool about it. I think seeing a real person do, like, bending is cool for the first five seconds. And yeah. then immediately after, it's like, okay, I'm done. True. Yeah. And it is kind of weird how, like, he changes how, like, I don't know. This is not, we're not going to get into this. But it would be, <laughs> like, the last Airbender fans don't defend that movie at all even aspects of it where it's like, well, yeah, the movie's bad, but at least there's this. But, like, Spider-Man fans, for some reason, some Spider-Man fans are like, man, that last fight with Electro and the power plant's really cool. And then you watch it, and it's like, oh, I forgot that Pharrell did the soundtrack to this movie, and for some reason... Pharrell thought he could make a dubstep song and work it into the movie. I think, okay, not only did Pharrell make the soundtrack, I think he made the score, Um, which Pharrell is a great producer and musician, but... He don't make scores. He don't make scores. It's it's just not good. Um, And especially that dubstep thing when he's fighting electro like i get what they're trying to do um where like he's using the electrical currents and like using like all of the stuff at the power grid to like use that to attack spider-man and every time that electricity like surges through the wires it goes like there's like a synth hit i get what he's trying to do it just is terrible um and then is it Electro that ends up killing Gwen Stacy? Or is that Green Goblin? That movie... I thought it was Green Goblin, but I don't remember. <laughs> I know Green Goblin does it in the comics, and like the in the original story. I don't think it's New Goblin. I think it's Old Goblin. But that movie also does the cardinal sin of any Spider-Man movie, is that you should never have three villains. We learned that with Spider-Man 3. But they do that in Amazing Spider-Man 2 with Electro, New Goblin, and Rhino. Rhino's barely in it, but he's in it. Um, And so you should just never do that. Learn your lesson. Stick to one, maybe two. Probably one. Like, Raimi just wanted to do Sandman for Spider-Man 3, and that's the best stuff in that movie. And then you add Venom. And he didn't know anything about Venom. And he's like, I don't want to do Venom. But then the studio was like, it's the mid-2000s. Everything's edgy. We need a black suit Spider-Man and Venom because he's cool and he kills people. So put that in your movie. And also pay off the Harry Osborn stuff. Have him be the Green Goblin. Which I think that was probably Raimi too. Like, it probably was Sandman and New Goblin 
just to tie up everything with that subplot where, you know, Spider-Man kills... Well, he doesn't even kill the Green Goblin. I don't know why Harry thinks that Spider-Man kills the Green Goblin when it's very clear that the Green Goblin stabs himself with his own um, glider thingy. Um, but I don't know. Those movies are just all campy and fun, so... Sorry, that was a very long tangent about Spider-Man for no this reason. This happens every time. Does it? Yes. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so, yes, Spider-Man 2, fun game. I have my problems with the story. I'll probably wait a couple weeks to talk about it. Um, but for now, that is all. I'm not going to talk about Spider-Man 2 next week. But I thought I could give a more complete... I didn't even talk about the game at all. I just talked about the cosmetics. I suck at video (laughs) game reviewing. But that's all I care about. I just want to get new suits. Why else would you play the game? That's true. Any game. I'm playing Infamous 2 right now. And when you get like more or less Infamous, you get new clothes. And I'm like, ooh, (laughs) I want to get really good so I can see what all the clothes are. And then I'm going to play the game again so I can see what the evil clothes look like. I'm such a sucker. But, you know, it's how to get me every time. That's why those new God of War games are so cool. Because... They have these lame RPG elements, but also you get really sick armor, and it looks nice. And that's all I need. I'm like, yeah, I guess I could keep trying to get all the numbers to go up, but I just want to make my Kratos look cool and sick. So, I can't wait for God of War 3. It's going to be so much fun. There's going to be so many different armors to try on. Oh, boy. So, there you go. I think that's going to do it for everything. Next week, The Witch, The Empty Man, Us. Be here, be square. I don't know. I'll toss it over to Babby. I'm done talking. Yeah. We got to end this at some point. Yeah. (laughs) I suppose. (laughs) Maybe if we don't talk, he'll keep going. No, that's true. It's like what it's the interview style where you just like kind of ask a question and then you're just like, you just stare Let at them. Let them go ham. And then they just go and go. And go. <laughs> this is the Alex episode. I'm yes. sorry. No, I'm, I'm trying um, to pass it over right now. No, I'm not allowing ex- it. I'll take a baton. Um, don't do it. I don't have a lot for music this week. Um, but we will still talk about it. Uh, King Gizzard Lizard Wizard. Oh, um, yeah, I saw the 25th that. album, The Silver Chord. <laughs> I, I feel like 25. it gets harder and harder to talk about a King Gizzard album the more the more that they release. Um, because you know there's going to be some form of quality to it, no matter what. Yeah. Uh, but this time they went wacky um, with a more techno uh, dance, almost rave uh, album. Um, this is seven songs technically it's pretty short um, but what they did do is they added extended mixes for all of these for when you're up in the club <laughs> um, yeah so the album turns out to be an hour and 56 minutes but nobody's got time for all those extended editions uh, 
Yeah. I, I thought it was just one because, like, I finished listening to the album and then, like, the Thea extended mix came on and it was 20 minutes. I'm like, oh, this is a cool, like, bonus track. And I'm like, no, the whole album has extended <laughs> mixes to it, oh. um, which is cool, I guess. I, I mean, if you're into that kind of thing. Um, the album's pretty decent. I mean, it's nothing groundbreaking or anything for them. Um, I enjoy that they just have fun and go wherever they want to. Uh, and that shows because it is a pretty fun record. It does go into a lot of different avenues. Um, the first three tracks we heard because they released them as singles uh, all at once. So it's basically like almost half the record. Um, and I mean, they're, they're good. Uh, I think the Thea is probably my favorite out of like the first three. Um, but uh, it, it gets more techno-y. Um, I like the energy across these because it is... It is kind of one seamless record. Um, all the songs flow into each other or transition nicely, um, which they've done before, and I do enjoy when they do that. Uh, but I don't know. Something like Gilgamesh is cool. Uh, it gets very... It, it does remind me some of... Uh, what is it? Omnium Gatherum, uh, where they did some like cool like goblin core type songs where it's just like ooh you're like you feel like you're like walking in a mushroom forest and there's like little guys everywhere uh and then they they do the thing where they did an omni and gather them again where it's like more rap style verses out of nowhere over these like techno almost breakbeat loops um it's just fun uh the issue is i don't know if i'll ever come back to this record because like yeah, it's a lot of fun to have on, but is it really... <laughs> it does not stand up to the rest of their catalog by quite a large margin, I'd say. Um, I do appreciate that they are, they're able to like do this wide range of things um, because their fan base kind of allows them and they just don't care about like sticking to one lane, which is great. Yeah. Um, and they do everything pretty decently. But, I mean, yeah, it's good. It's still worth a listen. Um other than the extended mixes, unless you like really want to get into like a, a flow. Um, if you're doing something like, you know, working out or working from home or something and you need just like filler for your ears, that's maybe what those extended mixes would be, would be good for. Or DJs in a nightclub or some Australian uh, rave party thing setting. But uh, I mean, it, it's cool. I, I, they didn't really promo this record a whole lot either i feel like this is just kind of like a cool thing they wanted to do um and they did it because I, de I definitely think uh oh man i forgot the name of the song petro draconic apocalypse or dawn of eternal night and annihilation <laughs> of planet earth in the beginning of whatever uh that one was definitely the better album from them this year <laughs> but um yeah i mean it, it's still decent it's king gizzard it's you're, you're gonna have a good time when you throw it on but yeah that was good uh that was only it album i listened to this week i don't think there was really anything big besides taylor swift's 1989 taylor's version which did i did listen not to listen to no i i um, <laughs> but kendrick did re-record his verse for uh the bad blood uh remix yes that's which, the only thing i listened to from yeah it. yeah which is funny because that song's pretty bad um but props to kendrick for recording his verse when he was doing that weird uh, mainstream pop feature thing where he was on, like, that Maroon 5 song and then on Taylor Swift's song, and then I feel like he was on one other song. Imagine Dragons, that's what it was. Who's on an Imagine Dragons song? Yeah. Um, 
I think it was the radioactive remix, but I could be wrong. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I don't know what his deal was. Um, it's funny because he like did To Pimp a Butterfly, and then within that same year, he did all these like really bad pop features on like the biggest songs out currently. Um, it was the biggest switch up I could have ever imagined. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, sorry to all my Swifties. I'm not listening to 1989. Wow. Why would I do that? Um, I've heard that the remixes aren't as good as the original ones either. But you didn't hear that from me, so don't come at me. I'm innocent <laughs> in this. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, Folklore and Evermore were pretty great. And I feel like the uh, mass hysteria surrounding Taylor Swift has completely turned me off from going back to any other album she's made. Yeah. So I'm going to wait for that to die down for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much where I am too. It's just like those two yeah. records are great, but I'm like, I don't, I don't need anything else. And right I know now. red's going to be good. Midnight's was actually pretty decent. Um, there's a couple of memorable ones that I like on there. But it's like, I don't know, it's too hot right now for me to be going in anywhere with Taylor Swift or even attempting to do any content around Taylor Swift um, because I enjoy my life and not being doxxed or anything like that. Um, never underestimate white women who like an artist or anything like that. It's the, it's the, it's the quickest mobilization of, of people you'll ever see in your life. Um, you know, we, we should we should be using that for good. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah. Other than that, MGMT uh, released a single yesterday what? on the spooky day as our time of recording this. Halloween was yesterday. Um, Mother Nature is the title. Uh, I've only really dug into Little Dark Age. Um, yeah. And what is the other one I've heard? Uh, da, 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 da. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yes. Yeah. Um, this is pretty different. It is definitely more of an indie rock direction, um, which is cool. I, I don't mind it. Um, I don't think it touches anything on Little Dark Ages for me because I love how quirked up that album is. Um, but I do enjoy the single. Um, it's pretty good. It's definitely a little bit more in this more mainstream sounding indie rock uh, genre if you're not listening too much but if, if you like sit down and listen to it it's it's a it's a pretty well produced I like the flow of it um, it still has a little bit of the quirk that they that they usually bring um, but yeah there is a new album coming from them it is officially slated for February 23rd of next year um, so it's coming uh, I thought it was coming earlier than this but I will take this honestly uh, looks like we got 10 tracks um still can't tell what the sound's going to be if it's all going to be this kind of style or if it's going to be a little bit all over the place um but loss of life will be the album uh this is gonna be their first in six years yeah kind of crazy but we will most likely do a reaction to this and maybe we can dig bab jab out of the <laughs> hole that he's been in AKA we haven't done videos where he would be interested in. He's completely fine. We just keep him away in a box for a while. <laughs> we should probably do a bad Jeff wheel spin or something soon. Yeah. It's been well, a hot minute. Last one was probably Daft Punk. That was what, in April? I think so. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was, it's been, a, it's been a minute. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe we can make something happen before February, but who knows? Um, so I think those are the only two big things this week. Um, hmm. Trying to remember. Yeah, I don't think too much is happening. I think the MGMT news was pretty much the biggest thing. Uh, the Kanye and Ty Dolla Sign mega super multi-stadium <laughs> event for their collab album got postponed uh, to the surprise of nobody. Um, so I don't care what happens with that, but it's just funny to see the same thing happen. That always happens. But, you know, I think that's it uh, for music. Nice. Oh, I'm something. I felt like there was more, but I don't think there really is. Uh, I've been digging into the Jane Remover album a little bit more. I talked about that a little last week, but I gave it a little bit more of a thorough listen this week. Um, And can confirm it's still pretty good. Uh, It does go on a bit too long, um, just because it is very subtle and long and drawn out and sometimes gets a little bit too much, Um, but it's still pretty great. So there's that. Um, Yeah. I don't have anything really prepared for my segment. Um, because it, work's been busy and I don't have time to write things. Uh, but I guess we can do very informal updates slash somewhat analysis, but not really. Um, since my kind of breakdown history lesson recap thingy two weeks ago, whatever you want to call it. Um, since then, I, I feel like there's been very interesting media things that we can pick up on and kind of. Uh, point out um, surrounding the Israel-Palestine, I don't want to call it a conflict, uh, the ongoing cleansing, we can call it that. Um, The, yeah. (laughs) But uh, interesting media tactics have been around. um, We talked about the hospital bombing last time. I think like the day after we did that segment, there was a huge campaign that like, Tons of things were, were coming out saying that, like, it was a failed Hamas rocket or something. Yeah. Um, but there was no real evidence for this. Uh, and Israel literally bombed, like, 18 to 22 hospitals that week prior um, and then had the gall to say, oh, we wouldn't bomb a hospital. Why would we do that? Um, and then there was doctored evidence and this whole thing with a parking lot that wasn't even from that event. Uh, and, yeah, it... It's blatant lies. Their propaganda machine is not very good, which we'll talk about a little bit. Uh, it's kind of crumbling a little bit, and we're kind of seeing the shift and consequences of that. Um, but uh, the big tactic that's been kind of being used is, like, they'll do this. They'll release their statement saying, like, oh, we didn't bomb the hospital and uh, blah, 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 blah. And then enough outlets and people say it and talk about it, and it just kind of becomes a, a mass, like, it just kind of becomes the public consciousness in a way um, because of enough sources keep reporting on this and keep reporting on this because originally it was like, yeah, they bombed the hospital. And then two days later, it's like media wouldn't say um, who was responsible and they'll just be like uh, the investigation into the hospital bombing. Um, And then the other tactic popping up is that uh, one of passive language 
Um, this one's pretty common. You'll see it everywhere in every single outlet, um, even by politicians themselves, where they will not say IDF or Israel. They will say bombs explode in Gaza, or they will say explosion kills blah, blah, blah in Gaza, um, as if the bombs are responsible and they do not <laughs> tell where the bombs come from or anything like that. Um, it's actually like very, very, very darkly funny if you look at any news outlets coverage of this because it's crazy to see how many times this tactic is used in every single headline and story that is done. Um, it, it's really, really, really disturbing. Um, and it's an easy thing to pick up on. So like once you kind of see it, you don't stop seeing it. Um, so it's an easy one to kind of point out and not fall for. But just that thing of passive language, it doesn't tie Israel directly to any crimes that they're committing. Um, and this especially works with like SEO. If you look up things about it, um, it won't come up as much. So that's that's a main reason why that's a thing um, that's happening. I think there was a thing with like Anderson Cooper at, on CNN like last week or two weeks ago um, where he accidentally said like uh, Palestinian civilians and then like he had to like uh, retract it right away and like change it. So it didn't say civilians. Um, it, it's kind of crumbling really a lot quicker than I thought it would. Usually this happens with American wars because they're always unjustified and they're always extremely messy. Um, and people always kind of waken up to it too late. This happened with Iraq, uh, it happened with Vietnam, which was probably the last mass like deterrence of a war by the American public. Um, but it, we're seeing it happen pretty quickly here. Uh, Israel's propaganda apparatus is not very good. Um, they've been pretty blatant about their stuff, and their government is not helping because they're just openly doing things now. Uh, I mean, even the things I brought up last time where it's like they're calling them human animals and blah, 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 blah. Like, that's been happening since day one, but it's getting harder to cover up now, and it becomes really sloppy when... Uh, all these things are happening in real time and news outlets need to keep reporting on it. And it's really hard to like get all of them in line. Um, even though they all are, I mean, you can look at any U S politician, even the so-called like progressives like AOC and Bernie, um, they use these same tactics. Like, I mean, all of them like condemned Hamas and didn't say anything about like all the, the Palestinians being killed. And even if AOC does say something like that, it's never like the fault of Israel or anything. Um, civilian casualties and then i think elizabeth warren made like an awful tweet <laughs> where she was like basically condemning the bombs used to kill palestinians but did not say anything about like where the bombs came from or anything um which is pretty on brand for elizabeth warren as useless <laughs> as of a human as she is but yeah it's just really 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 darkly funny um when it comes to language like that but we are seeing a shift. Um, I'm sure some people have noticed it. Uh, if people have been like privy to what the situation is before the October 7th attack, this has all been pretty blatantly like, you know, uh, Israel propaganda coming out of it. Um, but I think more people are like waking up to it. The consensus and general consensus is kind of shifting a little bit. A lot more liberals are coming to the more Palestinian supportive side. Um, they are liberals, so they're going to fence it and stuff, but it's, it's a lot better than, uh, just seeing blatant like support for Israel and no regard for Palestinian life. Um, it's 
it, it only takes so long for like Israel's propaganda machine to kind of break down and it's hard to cover up all these things that they're doing. It's like the hospital bombing happened and then there was a whole dispute about who did it. And then two days later, they literally like bombed a church that was like a thousand years old, which is like Damn. so much older than Israel itself. <laughs> um, and then they bombed a refugee refugee camp in the West Bank. Uh, but this whole war was supposedly against Hamas, which is located in Gaza. But now they're bombing the West Bank because, of course, they will. This is what their plan is. Um, their plan is for a second Nakba. It's for the expulsion of all Palestinians. It will always be this. Um, and I think it's good to bring up now that there are more liberals getting a little bit more privy. And they are kind of seeing the atrocities happening. Um it's good that they've reached this, but I think there still needs to be a point for education and there needs to be a point for, I'm seeing a lot of calls for a ceasefire. Um, of course, a ceasefire would be good in the immediate term, but in the long and short term, it's not going to do anything. Um, as long as the state of Israel exists, this will continue happening because it is literally built into Zionism. Um, it's a settler colonial project. We went into this last time. Uh, the main goal is to regain all the land for them uh, and kick out the natives because that is what its entire goal is. Um, but it's kind of, it's a little bit, it's still extremely dire and it will be for a while. Um, but there is some hope coming out of this. It's, this is the biggest, like most attention Israel has had that it hasn't been extremely positive. Um, this is the most kind of rocky that the support has been for them. Um, and of course, the U.S. will continue supporting them. But, I mean, even people like Biden is, are doing, like, he's doing a very bad job uh, making up a way to kind of defend giving billions of aid to Israel. Um, they're running out of ideas to kind of do that, um, which is, you know, usually it takes a long time before that happens. Um, as this situation becomes more dire in the United States with like inflation and just the amount of people that cannot afford anything. And you see your government spending billions of dollars and now not only Ukraine, but also Israel, um, people are going to be a little bit more skeptical, a little bit quicker. Um, so we are seeing a little bit more resistance pop up, uh, in the States. And this is something where like, this can have a direct effect on this conflict. Um, if the U S like, stop support for Israel, I guarantee you Israel will collapse in the next five years. Um, it's not an exaggeration or anything. Like, they will absolutely fall. Um, Israel and the U.S. kind of run defense for each other constantly. Uh, the IDF actually trains U.S. police forces. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know that, but the NY NYPD is trained by IDF uh, kind of soldiers and their curriculum for how they deal with uh, defense, quote unquote, defensive forces, um, over there. So, uh, there's a lot of kind of similarities, um, in these two systems as we look at it. I mean, they're the same settler colonial project at the end of the day. Um, but it's just been really fascinating. Uh, it's still incredibly disturbing and it will be, and it's awful and it's going to continue happening, but we're seeing a kind of monumental shift in the way that people are perceiving this conflict um, it's getting a lot more rocky. There's been South American countries pulling out of support for Israel and pulling their delegates out. Um, yeah, things are shifting. Uh, this is definitely not, this is definitely the beginning. Um, <laughs> this will be going on for a while. Uh, all the while, Palestinians will continue to be 
you know, murdered, uh, bombed, all these things, and it's going to be awful. Um, but it, th there is a little bit of a turning point here. Uh, I think it's just good to note that and say that it's not all lost. We're seeing things that are truly unprecedented and have never happened before. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it continues to play out. But felt like I needed to give some updates because I feel bad not talking about it every week, honestly. Um, but I want to have thoughts gathered enough where I can actually make some sort of a decent segment out of it. Yeah. Um, but just observations that I've been seeing the past couple of weeks um, as we continue this. I think the IDF just launched its ground invasion a couple of days ago. Um, yeah. Reports are saying it's not going well because they're literally bringing tanks into tight urban warfare, <laughs> um, which is not smart. Um, it's interesting because I, I feel like we're going to see Israel's ground forces be a little bit of a paper tiger. Um, Israel has constri uh, conscription laws, so you need to join the IDF uh, when you turn 18 and serve at least two years. And then from there, you can, uh, you know, be conscripted further or do something else. So a lot of their army um, is literally like Zoomers uh, in their early 20s that have not had any face-to-face -face combat or whatever, um, fighting against Palestinians who have known nothing but violence and that are trying to everything they possibly can to take back their homeland. Um, it's kind of looking like a Vietnam situation early if I were predict, like, to predict some things um, when it comes to a ground invasion. But again, not to be idealistic, but uh, it's, it's something of note because, yeah, just because you have billions of dollars of backing does not mean uh, you're automatically going to be stronger than people that know the area and are fighting for a cause, honestly, a lot more close to them than it is for these young kids that are being forced into conscription for uh, this military. But, yeah, so a lot of, a lot of stuff happening. Um, we have yet to see, like, real international players kind of involve themselves. I know there's been rumors of Yemen kind of joining against Israel. Um it's still strange to me that Hezbollah has not officially joined in this war yet. Um, I feel like if they don't do it, it's going to kind of look bad for them since their whole thing is reporting on Palestine and the crimes happening uh, at the hands of Israel. So it, it's interesting. But I, I, there's going to be a tipping point. Um, fascism will always kind of collapse under this weight. Uh, fascism does help capital in a lot of uh, instances, but there is a point where it will reach it and start hurting it, and that's when it's really the beginning of the end. Because um, you have to remember, all of this is capital. If capital starts getting, uh, you know, hurt, um, whether it's multinational corporations, all these things, uh, even arms deal stuff, like if any of this capital starts getting interrupted and they start losing money off of this, support will wane a lot quicker than you think it will. Um, so just a lot of thoughts to put out, but... Uh, yeah, it's not completely hopeless. This is a huge shift, and it will probably be, you know, one of the most important things to happen this in, this entire century. Um, so, trying to look at it as closely as I can, but not close enough where like I I'm just like, you know, seeing <laughs> videos of bodies constantly and all this stuff because it really does take a mental toll. So, uh, yeah. it's important you're to distance yourself a little bit, but it's also important to keep an eye on it. Uh, you know, educate yourself on the situation of conflict to make sure you're, um, you know, holding a correct line. Um, there is going to be a mass protest in D.C. on the 4th. 
Uh, I believe PSL is organizing that. Um, so we'll see how big of a turnout that is for that. It seems like it's going to be pretty huge. There's been a ton of protests already around the country. Um, I mean, anything that we can sway in the U.S. to, like, you know, make any kind of support shaky, it's going to be hard because, I mean, the U.S. isn't going to budge. But if we can at least put pressure on and, like, expose how criminal and, like, inhumane these politicians are, especially someone like Joe Biden, who barely has a mind at this point. Um, it's very hard for him to run cover. He's not charming like Obama is or anything like that. He's a lot easier to get to. Um, and he's already made a lot of comments that are pretty disgusting. So uh, the more that this happens, the more we can point it out, the more people that are going to start realizing that this is kind of garbage. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I have. I got scared yeah. by a Mission Impossible <laughs> movie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I tell uh, you what, Jack, that Tom Cruise. That Tom Cruise really made me feel scared about that AI nonsense. <laughs> Malarkey. Malarkey. <laughs> oh, well, it's a fun podcast, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, yeah, one last thing. Apparently the Houthis in Yemen have officially joined. Yes, I don't know what they'll do, but... Yeah, I'm I'll not send some quite rockets, sure but... what the yeah, I'm not quite sure what the whole it's, goal is of it yet. It's it's about the motivation, you know. Exactly. I mean, once once one major player in the Middle East joins, it might be a little bit more of a domino effect. Um, I mean, it's it's global conflicts like this have started over a lot less. Um, okay, I think yes. islands. Just, yeah. <laughs> I think it's just a lot. Uh, I mean, this is the beginning. Like, world wars have started for a lot less. Um, it, it literally a, a tip of like a tip of one domino can start off something gigantic. Um, so, I don't know. I, I mean, China's been really weird on this issue because they have private capital companies that have been like sending Israel like defensive weapons. Mm. Um, but at the same time, it's like China does not. China supports the Palestinian cause, but at the same time, they're, like, not doing anything about it because if China gets involved, the U.S. gets involved, and all of a sudden, boom, yeah, everybody's involved. So it's a very touchy situation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not smart enough to talk about geopolitics. (laughs) Trust me, it takes a lot of prior research and knowledge to even have, like, any kind of like coherence when it comes to all of that. Yeah. And we as Americans usually don't hear about any of it. Um, and if we do, our government has the absolute worst take on it always constantly because spoiler alert, the U S is the bad guy on the world stage, like 99% of the time. Yeah. Yes, this is true. Oh boy. Yeah. I end the podcast with fun. Fun. <laughs> I don't know. This podcast has been a roller coaster. Yeah, they usually are. Yeah, well, that's true. Just when, that's what makes us unique and quirky. <laughs> I suppose that is true. Just had no no tonal in, like consistency between any of the oh. movies I watched and then a long rant about Spider-Man <laughs> suits and then a little bit and of nerd. music and then 
Israel Palestine. Like this is all over the place. This is why you come to this podcast. I think we can officially call Alex the nerd of the pod. Everyone in the nerd. comments call him the nerd. Alex the nerd. Wow, that's fine. I mean, make yourself conscious about it. I'm not self conscious about it. <laughs> I just was I like, probably I, read the most books, but he's the nerd. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. He's, he's into Spider Man, so yeah, he's the nerd. That's true. Automatic L. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm into Spider Man and I'm into the Star Wars, so that's pretty much just. I'm pretty much done. No, I didn't talk about Ahsoka. I don't that's really good. want to. Keep it going, then. Let's go. No, I'm not, no. I'm not going to. There's, tired. there's literally nothing to say about it. So, yeah. Well, I think we'll just end it there. I uh, don't know what next week is going to be. Well, I do, but I don't know what else it's going to be. So, It's going to be the 7th. That's what it's going to be. Not when the podcast comes out. Oh, good point. I don't know when the podcast will come out. It'll be the 9th or the 10th next week. This week it'll probably be Allegedly. the 3rd. Allegedly, of course. But uh, until then, ciao!